Welcome to this BJSM podcast. My name is Brooke Patterson. I'm a physiotherapist and researcher at La Trobe University in Australia and a member of the BJSM editorial team. Today I'm really excited to be joined by Dr. Alison Ezzett. She's a physiotherapist and postdoctoral research fellow at the La Trobe Sport and Exercise Medicine Research Centre here in Melbourne as well as a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Physiotherapy at the University of British Columbia. Her research focuses on using process evaluation and implementation science to advance the prevention of knee injuries and improve access to non-surgical care for people with knee osteoarthritis. Recently, she has led projects examining the implementation of telehealth in musculoskeletal physiotherapy practice during the pandemic from physiotherapist and patient perspectives. Alison also maintains a small clinical practice treating Canadian patients via telehealth. Welcome to the podcast, Alison. Thanks, Brooke. I'm pleased to be here. Now, one of the silver linings of COVID is the increased adoption of telehealth um, in allied health and sports medicine services for people with musculoskeletal conditions. It's increased access for people in rural and remote areas, reduced travel time and costs, and provided flexible work arrangements for clinicians. So, Alison, how did you get into researching telehealth? Was it something that COVID kick-started? Yeah, you know, I was back in Canada at the time, and in March 2020, when um, the pandemic really hit in British Columbia, I was doing uh, group-based physiotherapy, doing the GLAD program, the Good Life with Osteoarthritis in Denmark program. And really, at that time, we were forced um, to pivot to in-person physiotherapy was, was really only for essential physiotherapy and certainly not for group-based care. And so uh, we transitioned our GLAD classes to telehealth, really um, just learning as, as we went. Uh, there was a lot of trial and error, a lot of innovation, but um, yeah, that was really how I got into it clinically. And then it's also led um, to this whole stream of research. So can we put a number on how much the use of telehealth for musculoskeletal conditions has increased since the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah, I think we don't have a lot of comprehensive data on pre-pandemic levels of telehealth and physiotherapy, but I think um, I can give you some examples of how there certainly has been a very dramatic increase. Uh, for example, there was some research done by my colleagues here in Australia where they surveyed over 800 physiotherapists in musculoskeletal practice. And there was um, a median increase in telehealth from 0% um, percent before 0% of their caseload before the pandemic up to 60% of the caseload um, during the pandemic. There's also been some other research in 200 Irish physiotherapists. Um, those who did telehealth during the pandemic, 83% had no experience with telehealth before the pandemic. And then one more example um, that was a survey conducted by the Swiss Physiotherapy Association found that out of 700 physiotherapists, only 5% were doing telehealth before lockdown versus 45% who had adopted it during the lockdown. So I think 
um, you know, clearly across the world, there's been this massive increase. And uh, I think one of the biggest factors uh, that stimulated this increase um, has also been that insurance providers did not necessarily cover telehealth um, for funding before the pandemic, but uh, that was another very quick change um, that happened in many countries. So, Alison, unfortunately, you did arrive in Australia amidst the pandemic and to a country that was going to have one of the longest lockdowns across the world. So you did have to pivot. And one of the studies you conducted in 2020 was a survey of people with musculoskeletal pain receiving telehealth care from private practice physiotherapists. So can you give us a little bit of an overview of that study? And, yeah, I'm curious to know what type of telehealth people were accessing? Sure. Yeah, this was a mixed method study, as you mentioned, looking at the experience of people with musculoskeletal pain um, in their physiotherapist-delivered telehealth. And in this survey, 95% of respondents um, accessed video-based telehealth. About half of them used an iPad, or sorry, half of them used a laptop. Um, 16% used an iPad and about 18% used a smartphone. And uh, only 5% used a telephone. And I'll just note that's, that's kind of unique to the physiotherapy profession because many other healthcare professions such as general practitioners have done the majority of their telehealth by phone. Um, so back to our study, uh, Zoom was by far the most common software used by 77% uh, of patients. There was a large range of the number of telehealth sessions. The median number of sessions was two, but this ranged from one session up to 14 telehealth sessions. About one third of patients had their initial assessment by telehealth with or without follow-ups, whereas two thirds only did follow-up sessions by telehealth. Uh, most of these sessions, 88%, were one-on-one. -on -one. And the most common reason for stopping telehealth was to restart in-person care um, or that they felt their condition was improving. And Alison, what type of treatments were patients receiving? Was it exercise prescription, education? Uh, as far as treatments reported by participants, 95% said they received exercise prescription by telehealth. 38% stated they received education about their condition, whereas 24% said they received other advice about treatment options. As well, uh, the participants stated that they received a range of online resources during these sessions. So this included things such as online video links, electronic information sheets, um, and written information provided to them by email. And what you saw in the Australian context here, is this similar to what we see in other private physiotherapy telehealth services around the world? Yeah, I think quite similar. Um, I've led another large uh, survey of Canadian physiotherapy patients that had about 700 patients respond from seven Canadian provinces. And in this survey, um, the median number of sessions was three. Um, again, a large variability ranging from one telehealth session up to 20. Again, here, 98% of the sessions were by video conference and 95% were one-on-one -on -one care. 
Um, I think importantly, patients had overall very positive responses. Um, 58% agreed that their condition was accurately diagnosed and 75% of patients felt they were appropriately treated. And um, I think another take home is that 87% said they would access telehealth again in the future if needed. Thanks, Alison. So what I'm kind of hearing is that generally these musculoskeletal patients are accessing telehealth in a similar way in those two countries, those two studies, um, and the majority are actually quite satisfied um, with the service. What about group-based physiotherapy? So you mentioned GLAD before. Has telehealth been utilised in this context? Yeah, um, there has certainly been um, some telehealth studies published in cardiac rehab, in pulmonary rehab, um, and as well in osteoarthritis um, with the GLAD program, which I'll speak to specifically since um, that's that's my area. Um, so uh, interestingly, actually before the pandemic, um, the, the group here at La Trobe had started a non-inferiority trial comparing in-person GLAD to telehealth delivered GLAD. Um, as I said, this was before the pandemic, but they actually had to pause the trial um, at the beginning because, of course, the in-person GLAD had to be stopped. Um, people participating in the non-inferiority trial, we did interview 19 participants to understand their acceptability of participating in a group-based education and exercise therapy program by telehealth. So we interviewed 11 participants who did GLAD by telehealth and eight participants who did GLAD in person. And what we found was that the perceptions of telehealth acceptability was highly influenced by their exposure to telehealth in that the individuals who had done telehealth considered it to be easy, convenient, flexible, uh, and really enjoyed it. Whereas the individuals who were randomly assigned to the in-person GLAD um, perceived that telehealth would have been inferior um, and it was quite misunderstood by those who hadn't actually participated in it. Um, however, then the other theme that came out of these interviews was that the benefits of the program, um, including the reduced fear of pain and joint damage, changed beliefs about the value of exercise and physical activity, and the stated improvements in pain and function were very similar between the individuals randomized to telehealth and the individuals randomized to in-person. In fact, when I was reading the qualitative data, the quotes, you wouldn't know which group the participants were from. They were so similar. Um, so, you know, this is encouraging, um, I think, in that it shows that there could be water implementation of this group-based telehealth um, to areas where there isn't potentially access um, for in-person GLAD. Um, and I think it also showed that, you know, people who do these group-based programs are exposed to a large number of classes. So for example, GLAD is two education classes and then 12 group exercise classes, which is 14 total sessions. Um, and that's a big difference compared to um, a lot of the one-on-one -on -one telehealth research that's been done where um, I mentioned, you know, the median number of sessions might've been, you know, two or three sessions. So these people in the group-based telehealth are having, um, having quite a lot of experience and exposure to telehealth. It'd be really interesting to like do a crossover study where the people in person then went. Yes, we, I know we've sort of talked about that. So 
it's yeah yeah of what happens when they switch does it change their perception of telehealth in addition to the survey studies, I know you interviewed a subset to for, do a deeper dive into some of their attitudes and beliefs around telehealth. Can you give us a summary of some of the themes that emerged from that? These 19 patients that we interviewed were part of the larger survey. Um, and there were four main themes that really um, emerged from this data. Uh, Firstly, telehealth was certainly perceived by these patients to be valuable. However, it was generally thought of as second best to in-person care. These patients, um, the second theme was the challenges that patients reported, particularly related to assessment, diagnosis, and the lack of hands-on treatment, uh, challenges around communication and technology access and literacy. However, there are also advantages mentioned by these patients, specifically access to safe care, access to experts they may not be able to, um, to see in person, and the convenience of not having to leave their home or not having to travel. And then the last theme out of this data was really uh, the importance of technology in supporting telehealth. And this included um, participants receiving videos, uh, supplementary resources, such as links to websites, apps, video clips, all of those things to really enhance their physiotherapy experience. And you've still been seeing some Canadians back home by telehealth. Um, have you experienced, I guess, yeah, though, any of those challenges and anything you've adapted along the last 12 to 18 months in your experience? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I agree um, with some of the findings we've seen is that telehealth isn't necessarily going to replace in-person care, but in certain situations, um, depending on the patient, depending on what their condition is, their personal circumstances, how far they live from the clinic, or what type of family or work commitments they have, um, telehealth could be a very good alternative. And in my situation, um, not having an Australian uh, clinical license right now, telehealth has been uh, an amazing opportunity for me to be able to continue to work clinically and um, make a difference in people's lives with, with osteoarthritis. Um, I think one thing that we've heard from both patients and physiotherapists is that telehealth could um, have a role as part of a hybrid model of practice in the future. So for example, a patient might come in for their initial assessment, they might do one follow-up visit in person, but then if they just need a quick follow-up later to progress their exercises, answer some questions, get some education or advice, maybe their next couple of sessions could be by telehealth and save them um, that extra effort of having to come all the way in in person. Um, through my experiences, I've certainly um, learned a lot as I've gone. Uh, some things I would consider are when you're trying to decide if a patient is a good fit for telehealth, um, you know, have you considered the safety aspects? For example, will there be an extra person in their home to potentially assist them um, with your assessment if needed or just in case something um, was to happen? Are you doing an assessment with them or a follow-up session? And I think one of the most important things is, um, do you have a pre-existing therapeutic relationship with that patient? And we certainly heard from, from physiotherapists and patients that 
it was much easier to facilitate telehealth when you knew um, each other beforehand. Um, and, you know, considering does the patient have access to the appropriate equipment and do they have enough space in their home? Do they have access to the technology um, they're going to need? And do they importantly know how to operate that technology? So um, last point, I think, is making sure that patients are adequately prepared for telehealth before the session is really critical for success. So whether that's done by, um, you know, someone else at your clinic could be, um, you know, an administrator or um, whether that's done by the physio, whether you have some information you can provide them beforehand so they know what to expect, uh, because that's one of the big things, again, that I think resonates through a lot of the research is that people don't know what to expect. And physiotherapy is generally thought of as a hands-on profession. So um, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of um, maybe prior expectations that aren't necessarily true, um, that if you can help to provide people with the right information beforehand, it can really help to make for a successful telehealth session. Thank you, Alison. There's some fantastic tips there. And I couldn't agree more. There's so many education online materials now that are accessible to clinicians and patients. And hopefully we continue to use these platforms to share information. So you did allude to um, that you have talked to physios about their experience with telehealth as well in another study. So it obviously appears to be beneficial and feasible for patients, but what about the physios and the healthcare providers? Is it feasible and a viable option for them? And I guess, does it work in all settings, a private, public, and any advice for clinicians and clinic managers from your experience? Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> I'll touch on another study that I did looking at telehealth in Canadian physiotherapists. And this was a series of eight surveys over a six month period in 2020. So relatively early in the pandemic. Um, and this had over 2000 Canadian physiotherapists who participated. Uh, so the take homes from this study were really that the start of the pandemic was a time of high stress and many clinicians stopped in-person care completely. And telehealth was really their only option to allow continuity of care. Um, and yet as in-person care sort of gradually increased over that six month period, uh, many clinicians continued to offer telehealth as well. And in fact, at the end of our eight surveys, um, we asked a question about did clinicians plan to continue with telehealth in the future beyond the pandemic? And in fact, 84% said they did plan to continue to offer some sort of telehealth in the future. One other thing we asked in this paper was we asked uh, clinicians about key barriers and enablers to telehealth implementation. And we mapped those to the COMBI model, which is a behavior change framework, stands for capabilities, opportunities, and motivations. And in this case, the behavior is implementing telehealth. So some of the barriers and enablers we found were that physios had um, a lack of knowledge, skills, and confidence and training in telehealth, especially I think at the start of the pandemic. Um, there were some barriers around technology literacy, both for patients and for physiotherapists. Um, patient and physiotherapist expectations and beliefs about the value of telehealth were also um, potentially a barrier or enabler. Um, 
And then some of the other enablers that I've already mentioned in some of the other studies, the greater accessibility, the convenience, um, the less need to travel um, was a big enabling factor for telehealth. And also interesting um, that came through was that physios felt that telehealth enabled uh, patients to uh, become more independent and to take more um, initiative and self-management in their care. And so in a lot of ways, clinicians felt that was a very positive um, aspect to telehealth. And I think as well, like people that might not return for those last appointments when they're feeling pretty good, like it is a way to kind of continue their care even after they've, you know, almost fully recovered or fully recovered. Um, so, yeah, definitely lots of silver linings to this pandemic. Um, you alluded to a few before about, like, if you are wanting to continue telehealth, um, how do you think it, like, is going to fit into the fabric of a clinic moving forward post-pandemic, if we can ever say that? <laughs> yeah, I don't see telehealth disappearing completely at, at this point. I think um, the benefits have that we've seen in both Canadian and Australian patients and physios, um, you know, the more familiar and the more experienced both clinicians and patients get with it, I think the more likely we are to continue it to some degree. Um, I think we do need more resources for physiotherapists, though, to ensure that um, we are providing high quality telehealth to our patients. So one thing that we're doing right now is um, we are in the final stages of developing a telehealth toolkit that aims to address this gap in knowledge for physiotherapists. It uh, has been co-designed uh, with input from patients with musculoskeletal conditions, as well as input from practicing physiotherapists. And we're gonna be launching it very soon. Um, and there's gonna be a webinar introducing it and it's gonna be freely available um, online to any physiotherapist. And our, our goal with it really is to um, have something very practical and um, useful that, that again, can just help improve the quality of care for patients. Excellent. Very exciting. Now, to finish off, could you leave the listeners with three takeaway messages? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think my first takeaway would be that many musculoskeletal patients do find value in physiotherapy by telehealth. Um, however, I think there's a few important caveats there. And one is that they often need to have firsthand experience in it to really appreciate its true value. And I think that's what we really saw with the GLAD program um, is that patients had the opportunity to experience many sessions um, instead of just a one-off experience. Uh, because telehealth is a new thing to many of them and there's a lot of uncertainty about how it will work. Um, and the second caveat is that telehealth is not going to be the right fit for every patient and every condition, um, but probably um, more patients than you may initially think um, will be able to benefit and have positive experiences with it. Um, my second take home would be that I think there needs to be further telehealth training and resources developed and made accessible to support physiotherapists in delivering high quality telehealth in the future. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, now a lot of uh, private insurers are 
funding telehealth and, you know, hopefully continuing to fund telehealth moving forward in the future. And if we want that to continue, I think we do need to raise the bar as far as um, the quality of clinical care that physiotherapists are providing. And then my last takeaway is that I do think telehealth is here to stay beyond the pandemic, and I don't think it can replace in-person care, uh, but I do think, as I mentioned earlier, it does have a role in potentially a hybrid or a blended model of care. Patients may receive a combination of in-person and telehealth sessions over um, their treatment journey. And I think it is an opportunity for our profession to continue to evolve and to improve access to high quality care for patients, you know, especially those who may live in more rural areas where they don't have access to, to specialists um, nearby. Thank you so much, Alison. That was a great wrap up. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this BJSM podcast. The toolkit that Alison referred to is now freely available and we will pop that and all the papers Alison referred to in the show notes. Thanks again and we hope you have a great day. Bye.